0: Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness.
1: And I'm Ann Roby, an HR executive and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture.
0: So, we have another guest today that we're really, really excited to talk with. Her name is Susan Olesik, and she is the founder of the Enneagram Prison Project, which is an organization that was founded with a mission of bringing the Enneagram into prisons and working with incarcerated populations. I first heard about it when Anne met Susan, and I cannot remember the last time I heard her just rhapsodizing about something, having just this amazing experience and having met this amazing person. And I will turn it back over to Anne to talk a little bit about that experience.
1: Yeah, I I just distinctly remember I am a graduate of New Ventures West, which is a coaching program in San Francisco. And they do this great work where they facilitate graduate programs and they bring different speakers in back when we could all be live. (laughs) (laughs) As of the recording of this, we're still not live with anybody. And this one really just caught my eye. I love the Enneagram. And it was talking about exactly what Sherry said about bringing the Enneagram into the prison population. And I just thought it sounded interesting. Let me tell you all, like when I took this program, I just, it was just, I think an afternoon or maybe a full day. I can't remember exactly. I was blown away. And we haven't really talked about the Enneagram yet on the podcast. It's coming. Both Sherry and I are deep into it and love it. But one of my observations about a lot of these sorts of assessments is, is it often really focuses on the negative, or here's how you need to improve, or here's how you need to change yourself. And the thing that really just struck me about Susan and her work is really how she's focused on how we are already whole, how we are already amazing humans. And what the Enneagram does, as opposed to try to fix us, is it really sort of shows us exactly where we are and gives us the invitation to make whatever changes we may want to make. And it was such a different take, and it was just so incredibly moving. She had a a couple of formerly incarcerated folks with her, and they are now ambassadors of the program. And so I really got to connect and not only just hear about this what sounded like an interesting program, but really kind of feel the impact. And then I was lucky enough to actually join uh, Susan and some of her colleagues at San Quentin prison here in San Francisco Bay area. And Susan's heard me tell this story before, but I am lucky I've, I've stood in lots of different kinds of rooms and boardrooms and, you know, high powered people, high high salaried folks and um, everything from, you know, kind of the senior leaders everywhere throughout any particular organization. But I am telling you, I have never seen kind of the level of depth and commitment that I not only saw, but really kind of viscerally felt when I went into San Quentin with Susan and, and her colleagues. And so, uh, you know, I don't want to say much more because Susan's story is amazing and I want to I let her tell that story, but I just want to say how honored I am that you are joining us today. Mm-hmm. And just how amazing the programs that I've gotten to participate in, both as a student and then also just sort of as a guest and an observer to some of your programs. So Susan, I would love to hear a little bit from you. Can you just sort of introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about your journey and maybe the twists and turns and, and how you got to where
2: you are right now? Well, first of all, thank you, Anne and Sherry, for such a generous introduction and for having me. I appreciate being able to be part of what you're creating here and co-creating with you and. I love someone who loves the Enneagram, so I feel like (laughs) we could chop it up all day. I don't know even where to start. There's a lot of different starting places. I think for me with Enneagram Prison Project, I've always been a lover of people. I haven't always been a lover of Susan. Hmm. And the connecting of those two things has taken a long time. I'm turning 50. I'm saying this out loud on your podcast um, this month. And that to me feels like, you know, time. But it's been happening gradually over the last many decades of my life. And I think that I've also always been a seeker trying to figure out, you know, what is that thing that will help me to feel more for myself that I seem to very, you know, naturally and intuitively, instinctively feel for seems like everybody else. Mm. And the Enneagram and the opportunity to teach it to those who are experiencing incarceration has really been the thing for that in my life. And I would say the other piece that's helped me to get there is being a mom. Hmm. And I have three nearly grown children. They're all six foot something and tower over me, 23, 20, and 16. And I feel like, you know, with my partner trying to create good citizens, good men and thoughtful feeling men in the world, you know, that's been such a journey too. So I don't know, all of that has come together. I learned the Enneagram as a new mom and I went to go parenting class to become a better mom
1: hmm.
2: working with type one. And I, um, I found it really hard. I'm not really an academic. I feel I didn't get it very quickly. I did really need to be kind of guided into the types. And I just felt like it took a long time. It wasn't like, I got it. I saw the system. I it wasn't like that. And I'm so grateful the Enneagram doesn't change, you know, <laughs> that it stays, it's pretty much is a system. And that to me is the saving grace because, you know, people are so predictable, you can actually plot us on this thing. And that gives us a lot of inside information. And um, I just used it as a parenting tool as my kids were growing up. And as I was growing up, raising them, it definitely saved our marriage. Rick and I, we my partner is a, is a type seven and we'll be married 25 years this October, getting all my anniversaries. <laughs> and we say that kind of with a lot of pride because it it really does take quite a bit of work to stay married because it takes I I keep quoting this. I don't know who said this. Somebody told me early on, probably when a marriage was getting harder than that honeymoon stage, that staying married is never falling out of love at the same time. Mm. And what that really means is not really falling out of love with yourself at the same time. And we have used it in so many different ways. There's so many applications of the Enneagram. And it makes us, if we're using it, I think the way it's meant to be used to More deeply connect with who we really are. And when we do that, it is like falling in love. Hmm. But it takes a minute. And so after all this parenting, I certified at the narrative Enneagram was the first school I got a training in to become an Enneagram teacher. And as soon as I got that certification, I got invited to prison. And I was, you know, said yes right away. But like, I don't, I really didn't think I knew what I was doing. And and I honestly don't think I knew what I was doing. <laughs> I don't think that was really the point. Mm. The point was, I was really able to stay open hearted to people. And that was the the thing that they needed. And they stayed open to me, which is what I needed. Mm. And then the Enneagram, you know, took care of itself.
0: You know, your comment that you love other people, you didn't like Susan so much. As I was doing a little work to get ready for today's conversation, I looked at your website, not the Enneagram Prison Project website, but the Susan Olesic website. And I just want to read this quote that you have on that website because it is so beautiful. And I think so many people can relate to the latter part of this quote. You had a piece that says, people think I do the work I do with troubled populations out of the goodness of my heart. In part, I surely do. But honestly, I think I do it as much because it gives me the courage to keep up my own damn part of the bargain. Teaching others to be loving and kind to themselves keeps me honest and kinder with myself. I think that is so beautiful and so relatable about if only we would treat ourselves the way we treat the people in our lives that we love
2: and care about. Yeah. And I think that Sometimes, or oftentimes, the people that we are closest to, we feel the safest with, we treat a lot like we treat ourselves, which is not that great. Mm. And that, to me, is the, one of the, the tenets of what we teach inside of Enneagram Prison Project. And frankly, where I, I teach the Enneagram anywhere is to start by asking, are you willing to take 100% emotional responsibility? And I learned that from a therapist. Leanne Waters, shout out. <laughs> Retired, she's not taking any more clients. And if she does, she better take me back. And she's a seven. She's alive and well. So she is a seven. And I was like, well into any grand prison project at the time that I was seeing this therapist. And that was the first thing she asked me. And I was like, of course I'm willing to take 100% emotional responsibility. Like in my mind, I was thinking, I'm paying you. Of course I'm. <laughs> of course I, I thought I was until. I thought my husband was a total jerk, and then everything I felt was his fault. And that is why she asked me the question. And if Rick was here, I mean, I I share these things very lightly because, (laughs) of course, I was 50% of whatever was going on. And that's what Leanne knew. And that's what I didn't quite have language yet. And now I realize that the Enneagram is a system that helps us to figure out where we abdicate our responsibility, where I don't hold my part of the bargain anymore. And as soon as that's happened, Right then, ego is running it and driving it, and and there's all these patterns. Like there's an apparatus that's running me, and I'm nowhere to be found. And mm-hmm. that part is like that's really underground. We don't really know. I didn't. I definitely didn't know that was going on, even as I was teaching the any room. So I think my quest has been how do I make this like highly sophisticated psychological tool relevant, not just for me, but starting in prison for people who that's all they. Need. That is what they deserve. That is what they actually require to get out of jail, to get out of prison, to be able to prove and demonstrate, you know, that they've changed. They have to be able to hold emotional responsibility. And most people on the outside never really know what that means, even if we should, we're trying to figure that out. I was definitely trying. So I think that's where that quote came from, Sherry. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you've talked already a little bit about the Enneagram. I'd love if you, since we keep referencing it, can you just describe to our listeners a little bit more about what is this thing called the Enneagram, kind of at a high level? And I'd love also to hear you relate. Your quote at the beginning struck me as well as what what Sherry really picked up on is that you were not always a lover of Susan. So I'm curious after you describe a little bit about the Enneagram, if you could also talk a little bit about how it helped you facilitate maybe falling a little bit more in love with yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the Enneagram is a psychological tool. It's actually a system that helps to describe these nine different patterns of being, psychological ways of being, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral. And we, we call those three things together, personality. So everybody's got one. And the Enneagram suggests that there are nine of these things and they're Organized in a very systematic, interesting way. So, the more we study the Enneagram, the more we see the number of patterns and the profundity of the whole thing. What I think is really important to understand at a high level that I I always also introduce wherever I talk about the Enneagram is how we come by these things in the first place. That, you know, since we all do have one, how do we get a personality? And one of my favorite texts is The Wisdom of the Enneagram, which talks about this core, this like sort of indescribable essence of all human beings, which uh, that book calls the divine spark. Different cultures call it different things, but um, I don't really care what people call it, just want people to know we have one. And that essential quality is, there's always this nature-nurture debate around personality, you know, which one is it? Well, it is both. And the nature part of it is this essential sort of thing that's, that's hard to name. It's the, the Buddha nature, the Christ consciousness, that really essential way that we all come. And you don't have to have a kid to know this to be true. You're just like, see a baby in its little you know seat in Target as you're checking out. Like babies just come like this, right? They have this. And then the other part of our nature is a temperament. And the temperament is that inborn animal nature that helps us to express ourselves and whatever essential quality we come with. And the temperament is the inborn animal nature of us. And there's like these different qualities to that. And you don't have to know the Enneagram to know this. There are there are types that are, you know, very assertive, downright aggressive. And there are types that are very withdrawn and and chill. And there are types that are kind of in between, kind of like, you know, which way should I go? And that's not really anything that needs to be taught. That's just something that needs to, well, it's, it's helpful to know that that's what's going on, especially... When you have a child, if you become a parent, because the, the child comes with its own essential quality and its own temperament, trying to express who they are, that's the child's job. And everybody has this deal, right? Then you meet your parents. And whatever we have left over from however we've been you know, received in our life is how we've received that child. So if we have a, a way of greeting that child with a lot of attunement and appreciation and Reflecting back, mirroring back to that child who they are, what do you know? They get the idea that who they are is beautiful, it's perfect, it's loved and wanted. And then they are more of who they came to be. And I don't really know anybody that's had that go perfectly at all. <laughs> and I didn't have that go perfectly, although I, I did have, I think, a really loving set of parents. And then so this, like, that attunement is a lot of how that. Nature of who we are gets sort of imprinted on our, on our soul, on our psyche, on our emotions, and then the conditioning that goes all around that is is part of the nurture part, you know. And so the more attuned we were, someone was to us as we were growing up, the more we can be who we are. Mm-hmm. And when we don't feel like we get that, we we have this really instinctual way of just like shutting down. And when we contract against whatever is coming our way that doesn't feel loving and okay. We still have to be somehow, and so we still we start to like imitate those essential qualities. We're like mimicking who we really are, and that's the crazy part. That's when people are like, I, you know, I'm doing this thing. I must be crazy. Well, kind of, because the, the mimic—that's the ego part—and that's trying to be more of what we are in spades. And we forget. So the enneagram helps us to in nine very specific ways. Help us to see what are those really specific qualities that we come with in each type. And what what are the pattern ways in which we forget? Does that make sense, Anne?
1: It absolutely makes sense and so helpful. And then what I'd love to hear just a bit more about is that journey to loving yourself a little bit more. And was Enneagram part of that or, or, or are, is that still a journey? Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yes and yes. I, <laughs> I definitely think the Enneagram has been a big part of that. And everybody comes from trauma. I know that to be true. For me, at an early age, I lost my mom and, you know, I was five. And so it just made a massive impression on me. And I think actually the way I lost my mom is that my mom committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to say that out loud and to de-shame it for everybody. Cause I know lots and lots of folks who carry that around as a stigma. I did and there all these other like compounding things that get layered on top of that. And so I made up a story. I didn't know I did this in my little, you know, type one heart that it must've been because of me. And in so many ways, as I've talked to my family over the years, my dad also made up a story that it must've been because of him and my mm. sister and my brothers. And, you know, the truth is, and this is what I was figuring out in, in therapy and all the other things that I was trying to heal was had everything to do with my mom and and her loving her and and where does that go awry? So as I I think started to connect the dots between the things that happened to me when I was young versus um, really what was wrong with me, they, they were incongruent. There wasn't anything wrong with me, but there were a lot of things that I made up and I, I projected out onto the world. And the Enneagram helps us to sort of come clean to the, the parts of ourselves that are already good enough. And I'm quite sure the pain, painful way that I carried around this belief that there was something wrong with me is what I was trying to figure out in prison when I got there. I was so convinced at the goodness and I was inspired by the students that were taking the teaching to heart. But when they started to reflect it back to me, I realized, oh <laughs> if I don't take this teaching up too, then I'm really like full of it. And I type ones are about like having integrity and I wanted to be in alignment with this thing that I was actually teaching. So that's where the work began for me. So it's definitely classic case of teaching what I was needing to learn mm-hmm. and still, you know. Too. Love that.
0: So you, the story that you just shared, it so shows up in the work that you do. I had the wonderful opportunity of taking one of one of the courses through Enneagram Prison Project that you've started offering virtually to the broader population when the prisons all shut down, right? And you couldn't go in and teach. And it's called Nine Prisons, One Key. And not only was it just extraordinary on a personal level. But it completely transformed the way I work with my clients with the Enneagram. And Anne said a little bit of it up front that you approach it from this place of what's right with you. But there was also the way you talked about the Enneagram with so much kindness and so compassion really stood out in contrast to oftentimes it really is used to focus on here's what I need to fix about myself, right? Here's what I need to change about myself. And as I listen to you tell your story, it really shows up. I mean, I remember saying to Anne after I watched the first panel was – oh, and just for our listeners, it's the panels are where you put together a group of the same type and then Susan facilitated a conversation. And not only did it knock my socks off, that there would be five people and one would be somebody who had previously been in jail, one would be some high-powered corporate person, and then one would be a young person, and then a couple people sort of in between. And to witness, oh my gosh, externally, these people have nothing in common. And yet- They are experiencing the world in a really similar way. And I said to Anne, oh my God, first of all, I don't think I have ever seen anybody hold the space the way Susan holds the space. And secondly, I was just in tears over just the depth of your kindness and compassion. And so you, at least from my perspective, everything you just said, boy, do you bring that into your work.
2: Mm. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for that. I feel like I understand why we teach to the dysfunction of the type because the Enneagram really points that part out too. It's really there. It's not like people have to stretch for it. And I I think that isn't actually a very accessible way to understand the different types. I just found that for me, whenever I was in a room being taught that way, as soon as they got to my type, I shut down because I didn't want to be those things. And I didn't want to be laughed at. I didn't want to be the punchline. And, and then I realized as an instructor, I felt bad every time I was teaching every type because I always could feel the people in the room that were kind of not relating to it that way. And I just think as a human, it's a human quality that we, we want to be seen for the, for the high sides of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so if we teach, if we lead with that, it gives people a chance to show up there first. And then the, and I also find that when we do that, people bring all the crappy stuff all by themselves. And I don't even have to teach it. They're like, oh yeah, you said that nice thing, but let me tell you the recipe." And And so, you know, we can get the whole picture still, but leading with that to me felt altogether more, like more human, more, it felt kinder, feels kinder to receive it that way for myself, I know. Yeah.
1: You know, you've talked a bit about your journey and getting this nonprofit started. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I mean, really this podcast is all about the trials and tribulations, and the goods and the bads, and what happens on on all of our journeys, and so I'm sure it hasn't been exactly just a straight line. I'd love to hear a little bit more about it, and and even what Sherry just referenced. You know, I think at one point your plan wasn't to teach to the public, but because of the pandemic, right? So, I'd, anyway, I'd love to just we'd love to hear a little bit more about that journey and exactly you know to, up to this moment how you got here.
0: Oh, wait, let me just clarify. So you didn't get that first call to teach in prisons. And then like three months later, you had a thriving nonprofit and running. <laughs> that's not <laughs> how it went. <laughs> no, it didn't go that way.
2: I feel like every every step has felt really supported in hindsight. And as I think back to each step along the way, it hasn't, it's, it hasn't had the same clarity, although I think it's become clearer and clearer because I think as a human being, I've become clearer and more connected to myself. And that's how I source my next you know, moves. But I will say that I really think that I've always been a person of conviction, and when I, um, when I first got invited, I was really convicted that, like I was a thing to say yes to, and I was planning to be stunned by whatever I experienced. I, I didn't know exactly what to experience, and I kept trying to figure that out before I got there. But I didn't know anybody else that was doing what I was being asked to do. I met one person on the phone who had done a little bit and I, I got to ask some questions and people were generous with me. And then I, I met another, but they were like, like far away and I didn't really know them and they weren't in the same sort of experience that I was going to be in. I was going to be in with, a, you know, for a weekend intensive. And, and to be clear, I had taught one other class in a church, of about 40 people and another one in my living room. So I wasn't like steeped in experience as a facilitator either. My background was in human resources, 10 years before. I had my kids. So I was kind of digging. What I found though, was some of what I said in the beginning is that it, it didn't matter so much. What mattered, what but people seemed to really care about was that I cared
0: mm-hmm. and I
2: did care. I really cared. Like I cared, cried in my hotel room, cared mm-hmm. and called my husband and was like, oh my God, you you can't imagine how much heart is in this room. And that part was easy for me. The part that was really shaky was feeling like, I don't have all, I don't know. i mean, I was like carrying my notes and people are asking me questions like, you know, in Texas, everybody's, ma'am, ma'am, did you write the, did you write that book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I'm like reading that book in my, in my plane ride over here trying to remember everything. And so I just want to say for any new Enneagram teacher, it's not like Enneagram doesn't matter for me. just the Enneagram. Of course it matters. And we're Enneagram Prison Project. But several people inside the project who have done amazing things will tell you that they were not retained because of their Enneagram wisdom. They were retained because of their ability to transmit presence. Mm. And some part of me had that. Otherwise it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. And so I think I always have said, like, I just followed the green lights. I got invited back to that program in Texas that I I went to for several years. And then at one point they weren't going to have me back. And I was like, hmm, they were going to use a different tool. And I thought, oh, that's that's not part of my plan, right? So I took very <laughs> hard to keep that gig, and it wasn't going to happen. I had to figure out a different way to do something here. I made it really big in my head, but when I Googled jails and prisons that were around me, there was one 22.2 miles from my home, and I just found my way in there. I, I asked a lot of questions. I met people. I, I found someone who said I could have an appointment. I made a film of the men that I would met in Texas, and I remember this conversation with Rick. I think he he can let me share this one is that, you know, a good chunk of money we didn't have to make that film, but I knew the filmmaker that I'd seen, and and it was going to be this guy because he was a genius. And I needed to convey what I was feeling and what I was seeing in order for other people to get it because you cannot even at the time is like 12 years ago, you can't, Imagine how much different it was twelve years ago. Maybe you both can to try to talk about the Enneagram because people didn't get it. You buried the symbol, they're like, is it the devil? Like they just didn't understand. <laughs> now everything's like popping up Enneagram. So it's definitely not gonna be able to do that in prison. The film really helped. And what other what other things helped? I did not orchestrate. I ended up with the, this first person in the jail was a program manager and she was very protective of her, you know, people who were incarcerated because she Has a heart like I do for people and didn't want somebody to just drop in and do who knew what. And she said, it wasn't the film, it wasn't the Enneagram, it was the heart behind it all. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I, I think I just kept following the green lights. A lot of things opened up way before I thought I was ready for them. Parts like affiliates ending up in Finland and Europe because the Enneagram is a very internationally respected and understood tool. Speaking at conferences and thinking, I know how to talk to a conference full of people, but I always felt that when I could bring someone with me who had been impacted by the tool in the environment that I was trying to describe, that I was like, all I have to do is introduce them and, and mm-hmm. let their heart rip. And then people really were stunned. Like I was stunned. It was like the, the, the next best thing to doing what you got to do, Anne, which is come into the prison yourself. And I remember the first conference that I I did for the International Enneagram Association when I brought two of the people that I'd I'd met in the program in Texas, and we'd made another film about them. And I just can't even tell you their courage. You know, Clay Toomey and Elam Chance came and they both said, you know, you have carte blanche. You can ask whatever you want. Mm. And think about that. Right? That's just so much trust. And we had we had forged that together, the three of us. And and I remember sitting there, and I mean, just leading a panel and asking questions and learning so much about them, even as they unfolded. And after that was over, um, people stood on their feet and clapped for those guys and just clapped and clapped and clapped. And some people sat in the front row sobbing because it's so. I think. The truth, especially in enneagram crowds, people have been steeped in this material for so long and understand what the tool can do to see it liberating people from the prisons of their minds. Like you don't have to make a metaphor, and that to me was uh, like a interesting. I don't know how, what words to put to it exactly. I, I went on my conviction, but in those moments, I was like, I'm even touched telling you about it. Like really surprised, and I think those are the moments where I started to fall in love with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those. That's right. I I realized I was part of it. It Like it didn't work if I left myself out. And so I think that's the piece that's still water on my skin still hasn't all seeped in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things you are describing that is separate and distinct and part of the way you work with the Enneagram is this ability and willingness to really see people for who they are, not what they've done, right? Not what their past has been. And that's a pretty extraordinary thing. And I'm just, I'm sitting here reflecting on how much it would change things if we all just said, you know, I'm just going to up at 5%, right? Of being more committed to really seeing people Mm. and to just assuming the best about people and holding compassion for more people. And there's just something about the way you have married the Enneagram and really this just depth of kindness that I am just so moved by.
2: Thank you, Sherry. You know that I talk about this quote a lot uh, that I read from Sherry Uber in a book where she had this one simple little phrase saying, there's everything outside of us is an aspect of us. Mm-hmm. And it really, really had a way on me. And I, I went off and I thought about it for a while. And then I turned the page in the book and the next page has one word on the page, everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that is the surest way back to what you're talking about with that 5% like in my type one mind, I often have had this like, I'm gonna, and I'm like going to march forward and do this thing. But that's like very outward facing intention, right? And, and doesn't involve this inward part of me, which is where it all begins, like the thought I think and how it makes me feel. And so when I see things, because I'm like the queen of judgment as a type one on the Enneagram, right? When I see things that I judge, if I can catch my own judgment, I can then ask myself, and what is that reflecting in you, Susan? And that's the ticket for me, because then I can see the part that I'm either willing or not willing, rejecting or not, and, and work with that bit. And if I work with that bit, then I look out with compassion, because I'm, I'm with that suffering. I can see that, and I am part of that. And I think that's what the Enneagram is. That's why the Enneagram is in a circle, because it's based on the law of one. And the whole idea, that sounds like such a touchy-feely, esoteric thing, but it's like, that's a law so true. Mm. So I love what you're inviting people into. I love it. And it does start with us. Can you say just a little bit more about the law
1: of one, so to make sure that folks really understand that? Because I think it's so powerful.
2: Law of one just means like the law of unity. It literally means what we're, what we're talking about, Mm. that everything is a reflection of every, of everyone. And had a really challenging conversation. I don't like to, to say things that are uncomfortable to people. It's really not my MO. And I work the most on myself to be able to do that. I had this lingering thing that had been hanging on for a couple of years for me with someone. And we were in this conversation. It was all very you know, nice, but superficial. And then I just like went into it. And I just said, I have this lingering thing. <laughs> and I shared it. And it opened up so many more truths, so many more other, you know, connections that hadn't been happening. And then I realized that I was reflecting the same thing that was going on. It wasn't only me. And I think that's part of the law of one, that every time that there's something beautiful that we see, it's, it's reflecting a part yeah. of us that is also that beauty. Otherwise, we wouldn't see it. And so I think that it, it has so many, so many different applications. And the other part of the Enneagram on that inner triangle is the law of three, which is that, you know, everything that is, is in relationship to something that isn't. But there's no light without the darkness. There's no good without the bad. It's like what we're in those dualities and we we lock into them in our type structures. And so the law of three is is inviting us to allow that third force just to hold both things with presence. And that is the thing that allows something else to be. and. We're in those, that crazy hexad that's in the middle of the Enneagram, which is like the law of seven, which is that everything is changing and everything is in relationship to these other processes that are going on at the same time. So when we're in, this is like a, a lot about the Enneagram, but in, in some <laughs> ways, that's just as simple as those three complex things that if we stay with something and we really want it to change inevitably things get harder when they're just about to complete themselves. Hmm. And so I think when, all the way back to what you're saying, Sherry, and you're talking about that 5%, if we set out with that intention, we might be able to get through like day one, day two, whatever. And then when the idiot on the whatever, you know, (laughs) appears, And if we catch that, we we can realize that's the hamster wheel. It's like judging that person, just like I always judge that person. And just not doing that thing is force correction, right? And, And now we're in a different thing. And I think the anagram is endless, like that, because we're like this like humongous onion and the peeling off, peeling off, peeling off, layer after, layer after layer,
1: yeah, and I, I love what you just said. What came to mind instantly is that that idiot is me, right? <laughs> to the degree that we we are frustrated with whatever's going outside of ourselves, it's really, to your point, a reflection of what's happening or our own experiences, right. and so to to just quote Sherry here. I mean, if we can just ease that just a little bit, like what a m- much more beautiful world we'd be living in, right? A little less judgment, a little more kindness, not just externally, but internally as well. Right. Be making huge strides. Right.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. I just want to say one more comment about witnessing the impact that the Enneagram has had on some of the people you have worked with is last November, so right before Thanksgiving, you did a virtual program that was a gratitude panel. And everyone on the panel was, again, someone, I think everyone on the panel was one of your ambassadors. right? So somebody who had been in prison and was, no longer in prison. And I was texting Anne and I'm like, oh, it's too bad you're not here. It's like amazing. And then like five (laughs) minutes later, I'm like, no, really freaking amazing. And then like two minutes later, I'm like, oh my God, I'm totally choking up. And then I think the next text was, oh my God, tears running down my face. And then I think I just decided like, I don't need to give her like a 30 second update, like, you know, every 30 (laughs) seconds on what state of crying am I now in. But there is something that is so powerful about witnessing, whether it's through the Enneagram or something else, of just witnessing somebody sharing their own journey and their own transformation and their ability to now see themselves as a... Whole and worthy person, and is so beautiful. And it just really, I really think since then, and I was just a, I think at that point, I was maybe a third of the way through the Nine Prisons, One Key program. But it just had such an impact on me around, you know, it doesn't really take much to do something kind every day. And you usually don't get to know what impact it had, but it has to have a profound impact when I sit there and I witness people that, for all intents and purposes, society had completely discarded. Right. And every one of these people was such a beautiful soul. I mean, such an extraordinarily beautiful soul.
2: I think that's part of the way the universe works that I really love, Sherry, is how we have no idea what impact we have sometimes mm-hmm. when we just do something. Mm-hmm. That's I think what altruism is, is doing mm-hmm. good things when no one's looking, not right. doing it because right. somebody might see it, but just doing right. it because, because I remember that panel and, and there are so many touching moments on it. i what comes to mind is thinking about Alex who, you know, did 26 years in and out of jails and prisons. And Alex is a, a minister and a grandfather and a partner and a, beautiful teacher and a board member for any grand prison project. And, you know, he came from a world of hurt and gangs and running in the streets and all those things. And I remember on that panel, Alex talking about how grateful he he can be to be stuck in traffic and how amazing it can be to just be sitting there in his car, right? Like right. gratitude is the antidote to all of our frustrations for things that aren't. When we can find that in ourselves, then, then we can hold a whole lot more grace for whatever's going on outside of us. And I think what's extraordinary about all of the ambassadors is that they did that not at some, you know, retreat with three beautiful meals a day and like walks in a labyrinth, but, but in the evening, they did it through this like kind of scrappy program that is often shut down, lockdowns, you know, didn't get what they needed and amid so much hardship and did it anyway. And so I think what happens To me, what's very satisfying is seeing um, so many people fall in love with the ambassadors and see them for the exemplars that they are. Mm -hmm. Really, it's not easy to love ourselves. And it's really, you know, almost miraculous to see people do it when they have been through such adversities and their adverse childhood experiences have been off the charts. And I think that's what you, what you, your tears are showing just like that, the reflection of the, the parts in you that know that you can do that in you, right? That That's what resonances, And mm. that reflects a part of you too, I have to so. say.
1: Well, and I do think that, I mean, so much of what you're talking about is this population that, as Sherry said, you know, it's somewhat been discarded. But what's striking me so much as well is all of us, and you said this earlier, Susan, how all of us have experienced trauma, how we've all, and it may not be the trauma of Alex that you're describing with the gangs and the running in the streets and whatever else happened to him. I think we each have that opportunity, whether we're behind bars or not, to do some of that self-reflection. And one of the things that I've heard you say before is, is less what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. And I think that so changes the dialogue when we're doing some self-reflection or trying to either help ourselves or help somebody else, not here's what's wrong with our finger wagging, but rather what happened. And, and one feels like a very close question. One feels like a very, very open question. And so what I'd love to do is when I think about what happened to you when you were a young girl and your mother took her own life and I, and I honor what happened to you. And I'm curious if you had the opportunity to go back and give that little girl some advice or feedback or a hug, whatever it might be. I'm just curious what you might share with that little person that was Susan at five years old or or whatever, at whatever
2: That's age. That's a tender invitation. And I heard a type eight in one of our courses recently say this practice that she has of of coming back to herself, and that is to look out at people when she has a a judgment or a comparing mind, which I can have both of very quickly. So that's where the judgment comes from. And to have this little whisper of a voice that says, "Just like me, mm. a," and then fill in the blank. And I think I I just described so much of my own goodness away, of my own enoughness, of my own ability to love people. I just I just projected it right out, and I just bypassed myself so totally. So. I think if I could have had that little whisper in my head at, at six years old and just you know whispered that to me and like just like me they are whatever beautiful thing I was thinking they were and, and comparing myself and coming up short um, I would I would have just loved to have known a little earlier how to be kinder mm. to me and how to include myself in the things that I thought everybody else was that I wasn't mm. and. And I I also know, even as I'm telling you that, that I also respect my journey. And I really feel like, you know, if if I was supposed to figure that any sooner, I would have, but I needed to be in what I was. And there was a lot of good learning along the way, but yeah.
0: That is the most perfect description of the perfectly imperfect journey that we are focused on on this podcast is that... Sure, it would be nice to say, oh, if I could go back and just have an easier one, right? Or a less confusing one, or one that's a little more sparkly. But that isn't the way it works. And it is, I know Anne and I both deeply believe, as I know you do, Susan, that it is in all those twists and turns that the growth happens and the learning happens and the transformation happens. And it is all part of helping us become more and more of who we are meant to be. We are so grateful for you taking time to be with us today. For our listeners who would like to learn more about the Enneagram Prison Project, and I really encourage you just to go to the website and read about it. It will just make your heart feel so happy. It's enneagramprisonproject.org. And we'll have more information in the show notes on uh, just a little bit more information about Susan and about the Enneagram Prison Project. And that's a wrap on our episode for today. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life.